Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 653. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today I'll be joined by Project Spurs Director of Digital Content, Joe Garcia. In this episode, Joe and I will break down the Spurs' play-in loss to the Pelicans, review how the season went, and take an early look at the Spurs' off-season calendar. Let's jump right into this episode with Joe. Joe, how are you doing? Uh, I wish I was doing better, man, but you know, we, we all got to kind of lick our wounds after that that horrible uh, Spurs loss, but you know what the silver lining is? The season's at an end. We look forward to the NBA draft now. Yeah, I mean, just because I knew this team wasn't really a contender, I'm kind of like okay with them. Like, you know, it's time to it's just that we get a little break here. You know, just I'm a little, a little exhausted myself, not having to worry about every other night there being a game. But you know, uh, so we'll dive right into that Spurs cast, listeners. Um, thank you all for joining us and listening in this episode. And, and just to, I want to quick remind you, if you're watching this on YouTube, it is a video format as well, the, the Spurs cast, and then we'll continue to have it on audio. All right, so let's break down this game, Joe, how it went, um, this play-in game between the Spurs and New Orleans Pelicans. So it was held on Wednesday. Um, you and I are recording this on a Thursday. The Pelicans were favored by five and a half. The, the, they ended up winning by 10 points. The Spurs fell behind by 21 points in the second half, but like they'd done all season, they were able to claw back, fight their way back, and they had a, they had an elite defensive fourth quarter for the first um uh, like basically like first six minutes where uh, they were basically holding the Pelicans to about five points in the, with five and a half left on the clock. So they got within six points, but then New Orleans kind of took over down the stretch. Uh, they just had too much firepower with different players uh, going off on the same night. Uh, Dejounte Murray. And Keldon Johnson, the Spurs' top two scorers ever since Derek White got traded, uh, they both struggled in this game, especially the first half. Uh, Murray finishes with 16 points, and it really his is more attribute attributed to his foul trouble. He got in foul trouble early, and then Keldon finishes with 15 points. He got a, he got a little bit better in the second half, being a little bit more efficient. But but both players uh, didn't want to make excuses after the game. You know, I was in their post game press conference uh, virtually. Murray basically says no excuses. Keldon, same thing. He says, you know, it's, it's they both put that on themselves. They know, they know they didn't have their best night when it mattered most. Uh, Devin Vassell though had a really great night, a team high 23 points. Um, he made seven threes in this game, kind of kept the Spurs in it as much as he could. Uh, Jakob Pertl finishes with 16 points. Uh, Josh Richardson, 12 points. And Lonnie Walker, the fourth, 12 points. We don't know if that might have been Lonnie's last game in the Spurs uniform. And then for the Pelicans, they had their, what, what the Spurs players called the three-headed monster of CJ McCollum, 32 points. Brandon Ingram, 27 points. And then um, 
uh, Jonas Valanciunas with 22 points. And, you know, that that's already enough when you have those three guys going for 20 plus. But then uh, I think it was Kelton or one other Spurs player mentioned that the role players are going off too. Herb Jones get, uh, adds 12 points for the Pelicans. And then so did Jose Alvarado uh, finishes with 12 points. So before we dive um, specifically into the data and what happened in this game and, and break it down um, in detail, Joe, what were your thoughts on the Spurs um, falling in this, in this um, playing game and their season ending? It was to be expected. I, I think if you're, if you're a diehard San Antonio Spurs fan, you know, or steward of the game, you could kind of see where this particular team was going to go. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> they're very young. They still have a lot to learn, you know, and just getting into the playing game already there, that was a moral victory <clears throat> because, and with her all intents and purposes, if you look at this team in the beginning of the season when they were not very good at all, you know, they were losing games left and right. You wouldn't expect them to, you know, kind of put things together a little bit and go on a, a good run at the end of the season to go ahead and topple the Lakers. You know, they went ahead and put their uh, play in hopes to rest. And the Spurs were, of course, here at this playing game with the with the Pelicans. But with the inexperience, you know, you 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 kind of expect that out of your younger core. But the thing that was surprising to me was seeing DeJounte Murray get rattled early. You know, and I think mm. that kind of set the tone uh, for what was going to happen for the rest of the game because he wanted to try to do too many things. I think all at once he really wanted to win this game. But at the end, you know, trying to force the issue got him in foul trouble. He's trying to be overly aggressive. Uh, and mm. what the Pelicans did, credit to them and their defense, they went ahead and attacked DeJounte Murray. You know, they went ahead and attacked Keldon Johnson and made it hard for them to score. And specifically, I watched what they were doing to DeJounte right out the gate. And it's kind of what me and uh, Colin Reed were talking about in our preview mm -hmm. is they were going ahead and guarding those passing lanes quite well, making it really hard for DeJounte to get the ball to his teammates. And what happens, they revert back to kind of making those poor decisions, you know, poor execution with the ball and just kind of trying to force the issue. Play lazy offense is what I call it when you're just chunking up threes with a lot of clock left. You know, that's you don't need to do that, you, especially when the intensity level is at an all time high. I just felt that the Spurs just, you know, kind of played to who they were. You know, we kind of yeah. kind of knew what they were all about. And unfortunately, we thought this was going to be a culmination of them actually showing the growth and learning and putting it to good use in this playing game. That was not to be. But they still showed that even though they have work to do, the pieces are there, you know. So let's see what they can do come next season. You had a great point there um, about, about how the Pelicans were kind of getting the passing lanes. And actually, that's something that post all-star break they were one of the top defensive teams in terms of turning you over as, as an offense so that's actually one of the you know in a, in a way the Spurs kind of should have known that 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 was going to be one of their, their things defensively was trying to, to disrupt your offense and, and you know it, it looks like the San Antonio was surprised there so now let's kind of jump uh, Joe into the into the actual data and see you know what what are the what exactly were the weaknesses for the Spurs in this loss uh, to the Pelicans so we're going to first look at offense um, you know First of all, like you kind of mentioned there, you know, the Pelican, one of the cool things about the playing game and, you know, because it's almost like it's almost like this next step to a playoff game is that a team has time now, multiple days to kind of scout you, figure out how can we make your strengths, your weakness. I mean, take away your, your strengths and make you have to play for your through your weaknesses. And so this is just a perfect example of what this young Spurs team could see. They're going to see now if they make it to the playoffs next year or even the playing game again, they know what teams are going to do to them. Uh, on offense, how they're going to try to stop them from scoring. So first thing they did is, and a lot of teams have done this when they beat the Spurs, they've taken away the paint from the Spurs. The Spurs had a very tough time getting shots in the paint, and that's one of their go-to areas of scoring. Um, this is a very aggressive team. So they scored just 38 points in this game. Normally they average about 53 paint points, so that, that's a huge issue. Uh, but the Pelicans kept them out there. When the Spurs did get in the paint, 
kind of what you just mentioned, Joe. It, it sounded like, it looked like Kelton, like DeJounte, a lot of these players were, were just rushing shots when they got there, I think, because they were just so happy to get in that area. Finally, they could get a shot off. Well, they end up shooting 41% of the paint, which is very low, a very inefficient number when you're shooting less than um, 50% from the paint. And normally the Spurs shoot 56% in the paint. So that's that was definitely a big issue was that not only did the Pelicans do a great job defensively of, of, of keeping the Spurs out of the paint, but then when the Spurs got in there, they saw multiple bodies in there and multiple hands and arms, and they had tough, a tough night shooting the ball in the paint. What you just mentioned, Joe, the data says it right there. The, the Spurs, who are a very good assist team, only had 19 assists in this game. Normally, they average about 28. So this Pelicans' defense, you could give them credit there. Uh, kind of what you mentioned about the decision-making by some of the Spurs players. Uh, the Spurs' assist percentage, which is uh, normally 64%, it was down 13%. Just 51% of their shots were assisted on. And uh, one of the strengths for the Spurs team is getting second chance uh, opportunities, and they only collected eight offensive rebounds. And, and I know that they averaged 11 during the season, but that's, that can be a huge thing. Uh, um, um, uh, part of your game if it's a close game like we saw here in this game when it got down to a six-point game. And then lastly, on offense, you know, they just, the Pelicans, this is what happens in playoff basketball is that t- teams, you know, the game slows down, it becomes a more um, grinded out kind of game. And so you see a lot of decrease in scoring. You're not able to, you're not able to anymore just get up and down the court and you get all these fast break transition type points. Now it's a more of a half court type game uh, in, in the play, in the, uh, I'm saying play in, but it's kind of like the playoffs. So uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on, on how, what the Pelicans did to the Spurs on offense? They attacked the areas that uh, they needed to, you know, to go ahead and make the Spurs be their own worst enemy, you know, mm-hmm. because they could become a little bit too complacent at times because they, they rely heavily on on one DeJounte Murray to facilitate the ball. And by taking that af- facet of the game away from them, they become a team now where you have to rely on the individual players to start executing. And unfortunately, that was not the case in the play-in game because much like the other games that we saw, I think it was one of the last games of the season when the Spurs got the the win before they went in on on that on that losing streak. The way mm-hmm. that they won that particular game is that the individual players were executing, meaning that they had open shots and they were knocking them down. In the playing game, they did not have a, a lot of open looks. They did have some, but most of the open looks they had were from beyond the arc, and they were not executing great from beyond the arc. You know, and then the mid range jumpers where a lot of them were contested. You know, mm-hmm. you had to go ahead and have either a, a pick. You had to come off a screen. You had to have some help from your teammates, and they really didn't play that facet of the game really well. You know, there were a lot of lazy screens being set, not a lot of pick-and-roll action, you know, to speak of at all. Um, At that point, it's just individuals trying to go ahead and force the issue, which is what we saw a lot of, and unfortunately making poor decisions, poor shot selection, and there's your night right there. You know, and another factor uh, that that really played into this was turnovers, you know, and beyond just Mm -hmm. the turnovers – Going to the stripe, you know, how many times did the Spurs get there versus how many times the Pelicans got there? I bet you the Pelicans bested the Spurs going to the free throw line because they're going to get the hometown calls. But it's part of the game, you know, bad foul calls and dealing with the refs. You, you got to do that when you're on the road. And unfortunately for the Spurs, I just felt like they just didn't match the intensity right out the gate of the Pelicans. Yep. And, uh, this, you know, the Spurs themselves, they said that they said post game, you know, it took them three quarters, even coach pops of this, that it took them three quarters to match the, the intensity that the physicality of New Orleans. And, and they, you know, that's something they wanted to learn from this kind of experience is that this young team's gonna have to have to match that, you know, right out the gate uh, defensively. Where do we see um, where, where the Spurs kind of struggle compared to their normal selves during the season? Uh, the Pelicans shot well from three, 40 percent from three. Um, normally, uh, opponents shoot 36 percent. And I'm just I'm just reminded of those shots by like Jose Alvarado, those wide open threes. Uh, Herb Jones in the corner where, where, where those players were, were, were getting so, so some pretty good looks. There was a play in the fourth quarter when it was close. 
um, who was it? I think it was Zach Collins or Jacoperto. They drop back on defense on a pick and roll from CJ McCollum of all people. And it, sure enough, he gets right out. He goes right around the screen and makes it throws a wide open three pull up. And that's something that CJ can easily do. Um, as far as uh, paint defense, the Spurs struggled here. They normally hold opponents to 50 points in the paint. The Pelicans got 56. This was a, This is where I thought this was a very good chance the Spurs team was going to lose this game. At halftime, I believe the Pelicans were shooting like 75% of the paint. Now, it, it got a little bit uh, uh, lower, that percentage, but it's still really high. If you're making 65% of your paint shots, you're really not getting many contests at the rim. And so um, normally this is a big issue for the Spurs. You know, the Pelicans were getting very efficient shots. I, I remember multiple layups by and dunks by, by Brandon Ingram. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas had a good night of the paint. Uh, the Pelicans got 16 mid-range points. Um, uh, you know, yeah, mid-range points. Normally, the Spurs allow 11. Uh, that's a lot of just CJ McCollum and Ingram. Very two good, very mid-range, uh, two very good mid-range shooters. Uh, here's a part that, that kind of matches what you said, Joe, about the tenacity and, and just that intensity not being there. The Spurs normally get about eight steals a game. They had just four in this one. And so that becomes a problem because if you're not turning over the, the other team, you're not able to get on the break. You're not able to get those those, those um, points off turnovers. And we saw that. Normally, the Spurs um, get 55% of the turnovers from the opponent are because of the Spurs steals, basically their aggressiveness on defense. The last night, it was just 29% of, of the Pelicans turnovers coming from steals from the Spurs. And then lastly, this is something that it wasn't necessarily below the Spurs season average, but this is something Pop mentioned. This is something the players mentioned. Just rebound has been has rebounding has been an issue for this team. The Pelicans got eight offensive rebounds uh, in this very close game, and then also they had twelve second chance points again in this close game. So, so normally for the season numbers, it doesn't look that bad. But when you talk about the, a playoff type game where where you know every possession matters, it's a very low scoring game. That becomes a big issue when you're when you're letting teams get extra chances and then get those extra second chance points. What are your thoughts, Joe, on the Spurs' defense? The defense just didn't seem to be very consistent throughout the night. You know, they kind of let the Pelicans just go on on runs. You know, and it was a game of runs. You know, the Pelicans went on runs where they separated themselves from from the Spurs early on. You know, especially mm-hmm. when DJ. Winded up getting in foul trouble, went to the bench. Same thing happened when they had to go ahead and sit Jakob and they brought in Zach Collins. CJ McCollum showed no fear, immediately went to the chest of one, you know, Zach Zach Collins and was able to immediately score on him at will with no problem. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. you could tell that these ex-teammates would go out, go up against one another in practice, yeah. you know. So afterwards, it was all love. You know, they were both congratulating each other and had nothing but admiration for one another. But when you're out there and you're trying to win games and you're, let's say your star guard is going on runs like that against one of your bigs, you know, and able to score at will, it, it does not bode well for you. There wasn't a lot of help defense either. You know, it seems mm-hmm. like there was a lot of defensive assignments that were missed. Uh, miscommunication out there on the court. But again, it's all indicative of a young team still trying to find their way, being in the big moment and kind of folding because, you know, unfortunately the intensity level was at an all-time high and this team was new. You know, this is a new atmosphere for them. New experience, should I say, not for all of them, but for most. Uh, Because some of the veterans that were here in the last playing game were not with this team any longer. And I'm just speaking specifically of one Derek White. You know, you now mm-hmm. you have the backup point guard and Trey Jones. And that was another big issue, you know, is the guard play, you know, and that became a factor because CJ McCollum actually scored 32 points to finish the game. So, you know, there you go. You're one of your better players is playing at a high, high level and also being able to facilitate and get other uh, teammates involved as well. So you saw the scoring that was a little bit more balanced 
for the Pelicans versus the San Antonio Spurs, which they rely heavily on their starters. But the bench actually came out and played decent enough for the San Antonio Spurs in the playing game. It was the starting unit that kind of was lackluster. I think the bench, they outscored the New Orleans Pelicans 33 to 20. <clears throat> Another mm. thing that was interesting to me was the fast break points. San Antonio mm. actually got more fast break points than the Pelicans, 13 to 6. But ultimately, the game was decided inside the paint, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. unfortunately for the Spurs, when you're having their opponent score that many points inside the paint, that shows you that your interior defense was lacking. And sure enough, you know, there you go. No, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, like, like you know, Vegas thought the Spurs probably were going to win that game. And so, you know, they they really struggled. For them to actually come back and make it competitive toward the end was, was you know, at least uh, one, one part, one positive from, from, from the loss. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of heart, like you said, you know, and Coach Pops talked about that, you know, numerous times this year. So now let's go to our second topic, Joe. This is kind of wrapping up the season. You know, what did this young Spurs team who who, who are supposed to have a lot of players coming back? You know, what did they do this season in their first year together without a lot of the veterans, without Patty Mills, without DeMar DeRozan, without Rudy Gay, without LaMarcus Aldridge? So they end up going 34 and 48 overall uh, as a team. So they did beat their Las Vegas projection. They were they were really supposed to win, I think, 29 and a half games. They did make the play-in tournament. They finished 10th out west. Um, their, their offense was kind of what we expected. We didn't think this would be an elite offense at any time. Even coach pop. I remember early on, I think it was in training camp. He, he made a comment where he was like, like we're lacking on offense or something. He made some sort of comment. I got to look it up anyway. So they end up finishing 17th. That's not too bad. You know, I, I honestly thought they might be a bottom 10 offense considering they lost to Rosen. And we saw that DeJounte really took his play to another level on offense. So they end up, they end up going 17th on offense. On defense, this is where it was kind of, I think, a little bit more of a disappointment. A lot of people thought, you know, maybe this could be a top 10 defense with Derek White, DeJounte Murray starting, Yaka Pirtle, you know, uh, Devin Vassell. And no, they were they were, they were were league average. They were about 16th on defense. So it wasn't quite, you know, a top 10 level defense. And then we know they traded Derek during the season. So now let's dive into, um, first let's talk about their offense. You know, just as a whole, what do they have set up? Because like I said, a lot of these players are coming back next season. Um, and so what do they have in place that's top 10 already? And then what is their big issues on offense that they really need to address uh, where they bottom 10? So I've kind of, I'm not going to put the numbers specifically. I'm just putting just, you know, how, how they ranked this year. Uh, so obviously, like you mentioned, Joe, they're a very quick team with their youth and athleticism. They finished, um, you know, they're in the top 10 in fast break point scoring. They're a very good team. And this is attributed to DeJounte Murray uh, in turnover percentage. Um, you know, DeJounte had the ball in his hands most of the year, and he he was a very good point guard about not turning the ball over. So they, they're, they're good, really good there. They're a very quick team with their pace. Um, they're one of the top passing teams. Uh, offensive rebounding is a, is a strength for this team with Jakob Pertl. Uh, here's a part that's a concern considering they are 10th, they, they were top 10 in it. It's that floater range makes and accuracy. I know they were a good team from making those shots, but you know, if that's part of your offense and that's a strength of yours, that's not very good. Cause that's kind of a shot that defenses want you to take. Like I've mentioned since the start of the season, that's a very low, um, efficient shot, those floater range shots. And that, that, that those are very difficult shots. Nobody shoots over 50% on those. And so even though, yes, the Spurs were top 10 in makes and accuracy from there, it's still something they want to try to get the players either closer to the rim to the foul line or, or just taking threes. Um, they were a very good team at, at, at scoring in the paint overall for the season. And then also their mid-range makes. That's still, you know, yes, they were top 10 and off in, in mid-range makes, but that's also a concerning sign in today's NBA. You don't want to be a top 10 team in, in a mid-range makes unless you have like Kevin Durant on your team. Uh, where did they really struggle? on? on where, they, where were they bottom 10 on offense this year? Uh, effective field goal percentage. They really just, as a team overall, for, from the three point line combined with the inside sh- um, shooting, they just they just weren't a very good uh, team. They really went like a roller coaster where they had waves where they would shoot very well, and then they just had um, a- another wave where they just you know, struggled as a team. Uh, they're they're not a very good team in terms of getting to the free throw line. 
One positive is that post All-Star break, they were actually one of the top 10 teams to get into the line. So again, that's a smaller sample size. But overall, as a whole, they were they were very, they were a bottom ten team in getting to the free throw line. Uh, they're they're even though yes, they increased the, their their threes as a team this year. Overall, against the whole league, they're still a very bottom of their bottom ten team in terms of, of taking and making threes. Uh, and then they just don't generate kind of what you you said, Joe. They just don't generate a lot of wide open threes for the year. They're they're they're, they're bottom ten in, in getting making wide open threes. And then also when they get those wide open threes, they weren't very accurate. They were they were um they were bottom ten in, in um, three point accuracy from wide open three. Uh, what are your comments, Joe, on, on these? Or what are your thoughts on these uh, top ten and, and bottom ten areas on offense? Uh, again, and, and it's indicative of a, a young team still learning, trying to find their way. Um, mm-hmm. And it also shows one important facet as well as of the San Antonio Spurs game itself is DeJounte Murray, uh, mm-hmm. while he is a bona fide NBA all-star now, he, he obviously does need help. You need to have uh, a consistent second or even a third scoring option out there. And with DeJounte kind of handling that load on any given night, having to go ahead and put up a triple-double, um, it shows that this team still needs some extra pieces, you know, mm-hmm. and that's going to be exciting and also disheartening to Spurs fans because the front office is going to have to make some tough decisions in the offseason. And that might be saying goodbye to some of these fan favorites like Lonnie Walker, if in fact you're going to wind up keeping Josh Richardson, um, because you can't afford to have both of them on the team. You could maybe, but I mean, what are you going to wind up doing towards your future if you're going to want to go after some bigger names you know because right now when the free agent market there's not going to be a lot of big names that are out there that the spurs or anybody else is going to really want to go go after you're going to have a lot of let's say pieces that you can go ahead and put on a team that could actually help the team get a little bit better and i think that's maybe what the spurs can go ahead and add uh, to this roster moving forward and going into next season is maybe some pieces that can kind of help tweak the offense a little bit more by adding some more savvy veterans, because let's face it, if you're going to go ahead and get a couple picks, you know, like we, like the Spurs have coming up in the first round of the draft, these are going to be projects. So they're not going to be ready to go right out the gate. They're probably going to spend a lot of time with the, uh, the Austin Spurs. So unless you find somebody and you package all your picks to get a top three or a top five pick, um, and you see that it's instantly going to change the franchise. You're still looking at maybe a season or two before that, in fact, does happen. And this team will get back to the promised land and, and push on through uh, to get into the playoffs. But there's still some work that needs to be done. I think what it's showing is that they're on the cusp of being able to, you know, clearly define themselves as a bona fide playoff team. But the team still needs some work. So right now there's still a work in progress. But it's going to be an interesting offseason. Let's put it like that. Yeah, no, for sure. And just like so one thing that I think they can do in-house in terms of development is that three-point ball where, where you know, the players, you know, outside of Keldon and, and, and Doug McDermott, there really wasn't a cons- any other consistent shooters. Devin kind of went in, in, in waves, um, you know, Lonnie. Uh, was inconsistent at times. Um, Primo, you know, he was in his first year. Dejounte, you know, all these players. Uh, Richardson was. Though, I have to give him credit there. So, like again, if those players work on their on their three ball, maybe they can get it. Like how Kelton, Kelton just came out of nowhere. Even Coach Pop said they didn't expect this as a team that he was going to become their best three point shooter. So, if those players can can take their development and really just become you know just better shooters, you know, and it's 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 easy to say, but it's actually hard to do. Um, that's something where they can at least raise their effective field goal percentage and their three their three pointers um, as a team. The part where, like you're right, Joe, where they you you really see the lack of not having that that go to star 
and I know DeJounte's the all-star, but he's not a player and neither is Kelton that they don't get to the line very often, like at an elite level, like, you know, some, some of those all-star level players or those, some of those like all NBA level players. And so I do wonder if that's, that's going to be somewhere where they address, you know, trying to get a player, whether it's through trade, whether it's, sure, I don't know, there's not many players out there in free agency this year, yeah. uh, a player who can kind of get to the line and, and kind of carry the offense a little bit and, and just kind of when it, when the game gets tough, you know, trying try to get, get that get that number a little bit better as far as getting to the line because that's definitely an area of need when you're just relying on jump shooting or scoring inside the paint because when one of those things gets taken away, well, then it's hard for you to score if you're a bottom 10 um, uh, team at the free throw line. Yeah. Now let's go ahead and uh, look, Joe, at uh, the defense and, you know, what were some strengths for this team as, and you know, what do they have in place right now that there's some building blocks and then what do they need to address? And so um, the part about the uh, addressing something, I'm going to kind of make a comment here because it's kind of, it's bothered me all year. So anyway, let's first talk about the good stuff on defense. So <laughs> they were, they were really good. This is just a staple of coach pops defenses. Do not let the, uh, the team get out on the fast break. So the Spurs were a top 10 team there. That's what always been one of their principles. Don't let the team get the easy points against you uh, out on the break. Uh, they were pretty good in blocks this year. Um, they were top ten there. Uh, and of course, give all that credit to Yaka Perto. Zach Collins uh, um, made, made some 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 pretty good blocks throughout the year as well when he started playing. Uh, this is again another stat attributed to Pertl. They're very good about not when they when the opponents get into that dunk layup range. The Spurs are, are one of the top um, five teams of of not letting this. Uh, of, of contesting that shot and that pretty much that's just all a purdle stat right there uh, of, of protecting the rim when, when teams get close there and then of course they were really good about um not putting teams in the free throw line and this is also another staple of just a coach pop led defense is do not fire your opponent don't put them on the free throw line now where were they bottom 10 and this is where where i said it's going to bother me they were they were bottom 10 in opponent offensive rebound percentage they just really got got hammered on the boards all year and also opponent second chance points now the reason why i have a i have an issue with this is because look for me it was always like I thought they knew this was going to happen with the lineups that they started. They started very small with the Kelton yep. at the four or Doug McDermott at the four. You're, you're playing one big and, and, and four guards and, and they're not very big guards or, or wings. So I just felt like I thought that was a given. They knew that that was going to be their issue. And then the fact that they're always addressing it. And even coach Pop was mentioning it post game, like that's been their issue all year. I just felt like, well, then why, why weren't they starting to play more two bigs? And I think we saw that a little bit. We didn't see it in the playoff playing game, but we saw them experiment with that two big system. Uh, in the last like 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 seven games, where they had Jock Landau getting some minutes at the four, so I wonder if that's a preview for either if they're going to target a player in the draft with, with, uh, for, for as a big, or if they're going to try to mix up lineups next year with maybe Jakob and Zach Collins getting minutes, or if they keep Lando, Jakob and Lando, that, that kind of a thing. If they're going to address it that way, because I feel like the, if you continue to play that small ball, you're going to continue to get um, uh, hammered on the boards unless you get a really big wing out there. Um, they also had an issue of. Letting teams just get into the paint. Teams got really uh, got a lot of shots at that at that layup dunk range, and so yes, as good as Jakob is at guarding that area, he he's not he, just one guy can't stop a, you know four other players, five other players attacking you. And so that was an issue. Was that they yes they were scoring paint points all year long, but then they were giving up paint points on the other end. So that was a big issue. And then um, this one's not too concerning, but they were thirtieth dead last in, in opponent mid range accuracy. That's mostly because the the way their defense is built. They play a lot of drop defense with Jakob and Zach Collins. Uh, kind of just dropping back on, on pick and rolls and letting teams you know have that mid range. I'm actually okay with that. Giving up the mid range, it's not a very efficient shot. But again, that's just something where they were bottom ten. What are your thoughts, Joe, on their defense? Defense needs some work. You know, I, I, what you're seeing here, the numbers are, are telling you is that the Spurs are undersized. You know, at at, mm -hmm. at, at their positions, specifically mm -hmm. at at the power forward position and the forward. You know, sometimes even at the shooting guard position. You know. You know, when you mm -hmm. have undersized players trying to go ahead and guard your opponent who is going to tower over you, you're going to wind up getting in foul trouble early. You're going to be able to to go ahead and score 
on this Spurs interior defense at will. And we saw some of these matchup issues when the Spurs went up against teams that had size, length, and athleticism. They kind of got in, they got themselves in trouble, you know. Um, so they're going to have to go ahead and kind of look towards either the draft or free agency yeah. trade something to go mm-hmm. ahead and sure that up because you're going to go into games just about every night and you're going to wind up getting out-rebounded on the offensive end because you're just undersized. It's hard to box people out when they can just jump right over you, you know, and, and get the rebound. And you're over here just trying to fight for dear life, you know, trying to keep them off the boards the best you can. But it's just indicative of the Spurs being undersized at, at their at certain positions, you know. In particular, the one thing that uh, kind of worried me as well is is Lonnie. You know, I, I like Lonnie as a player, uh, but he was undersized at his position, you know. So he was always trying to have to play catch up and try to find other ways to defend his opponent without getting in foul trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the the flip side of that is he wasn't a very consistent player from the offensive end. Not a, well, not on the first half of the season, but as soon yeah. as the Derek White trade, uh, you know, trade was made, he became a little bit better, a little bit more consistent, but still lacking, in my opinion. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that particular position, you know, and we need a scoring big man. I mean, I'm saying we, but, you know, the team needs a scoring big man um, because if you look at other teams throughout the league, they have that one scoring big that can kind of go ahead and shoot either the mid-range or shoot the three. Look at Cat, mm-hmm. you know, he can go ahead and shoot a mid-range jumper, shoot a three, and also go ahead and give you some spectacular plays inside the paint. You know, when you have a type of player that's very dynamic at that position, it kind of opens up the game for everybody. You know, and right now we've just seen DeJounte kind of struggling to keep this team relevant and stay afloat and keep them competitive on any given night because they are short, so short-handed. Jakob Portal, I love him to death, but in my opinion, he ain't it. You know, he's a, a decent enough starting center, but is he going to really get you beyond just a play-in game, you know? Probably mm-hmm. not. You need, you're going to need some help. You're going to need a prolific scorer. It's going to have to come from somewhere. Um, and until they go ahead and sure up some of these positions, they're going to always wind up getting beat on the positions or the defensive positions that we just said, you know, opponent opponents, offensive rebounding, you know, uh, second chance points, you know, opponent layup dunk ranges. I mean, dunks made, you know, it's because somebody missed an assignment and, and the help defense comes too late. And basically they can just go over the top of you and dunk on, on the, on, on, on the, on the defender, you know, uh, points in the paint too. You know, it's hard to keep people out of the paint when you're undersized, <laughs> you know, it's a tall yeah. order. So definitely some things that they need to work on, but it's not going to make the team instantly grow two or three inches taller. That's yeah. going to have to be done by getting some other players. So again, exactly. off season is going to be interesting. Yeah, no, you just, you just summed it up perfectly there that, that, you know, that weakness on deep, whereas on offense, we said, yes, the three points you do, they can maybe develop a little bit better on their own. That part about, you know, defensively get, getting better with size, you just can't, you just, you have to, you have to either make a, you have to do a really good draft pick, you have to get um, trades or you have to sign, sign players and you got to find out who fits that mold. And it really makes me think now it makes me um just seeing these numbers and, and how the, the, the season ended. It, it, it makes me now know exactly why we saw so much interest in John Collins last year. He would have been the, you know, one of those perfect pieces as a four who's mobile, who can kind of space the floor on offense, but then it can help out on the boards, can kind of switch. Um, that, and that's the thing the Spurs don't have. The closest thing they have to, 
to a player who, who's like at a, at a four who kind of play like both the four and five ish is Kata Bay Joss, but Kata just isn't isn't even close to that level. So again, that's where you look at you know maybe they look at a trade for a player like Collins. Maybe maybe in the draft they get lucky and get you know at the top you know one of the top three picks. And maybe they end up with, they're in the range of like Paolo Banchero from from Duke. You know those are the kind of players they need on this team. I think to to get to get to, to increase that, that that level. But again, that's that's just it's so like you said it's so easy to say it, but it's yeah. not you know easy to get that player. You know whether it's draft. Uh, trade or, or or signing that player. Every time I hear um, Banchero, it makes me laugh because I remember somebody on on Spurs Twitter put Banchero and eggs. You know, so every time they see Banchero, <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. But you know, another favorite uh, of the fans that, during the off season last year was Laurie Markinen. They wanted mm-hmm. him as well. You know, so yeah, now, tall now, orders, now, man. Whereas John Collins, I could see fitting it Laurie Markin and not so much because he kind of fits more so toward like the Jakobs um, slash um, Zach Collins type where he's going to he's not going to he's going to be more at the five than you need him at the, at the, yeah. at the four. So, yeah, in a way that, that one. Kind it of was wishful like thinking, out. Paul, wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So and now a word from our sponsors. The NBA playoffs mean next level basketball. Get ready for all the action by betting the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on an NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, Joe, let's go. Uh, it's going to finish up this episode here. So let's go into our third topic. And, and again, this is just a very early initial out- offseason calendar outlook because, you know, the season just ended and, and a lot of these things won't take place like May and June. So so let's just look at the, the, the main events coming up here um, in, in the next two months. Uh, we, uh, You know, it's right now. It's, it's, it's mid-April. Uh, the first thing that comes up is the lottery coin flip. Now, there's not a specific date that I know the NBA tells us. It kind of just pops up one day and, and they say oh, this this um, lottery coin flip was made. And so um, that's going to be a few weeks before the lottery. So I would presume about in May or maybe, yeah, probably May. Uh, and so why is this important for the Spurs? It's going to be because that's going to be when their Toronto pick gets determined. It's either going to be 20th or 21st. It just depends on, on how that, that coin flip works. Same thing for the Boston pick that the Spurs get. It's either going to end up 23rd, 24th, or 25th. So that's when we're going to find out exactly what position the, that Toronto and Boston pick will be. Then we move over to May 17th. And that is the NBA draft lottery. This is where the Spurs <laughs> need some luck. But if they want to get that, you know, ben, somebody like Banchero, they got to they got to basically win the lottery here. So the Spurs did finish the year with the ninth best odds because they didn't make it into the actual playoffs. They have a 20% chance at a top four pick and a 4.5% chance at number one overall. So again, that's a very hard thing to do to get number one, uh, 20% chance uh, at top four. And I know Ben Ben Bornstein, our, our draft expert, has said that this is a top five player draft. Um, so again, that's May 17th, the draft. Then about a month later, uh, the NBA draft is going to be held on June 23rd. And the Spurs, as long as they don't trade these picks, they are going into the, into the draft with three first-round picks, their own pick, the Boston pick, and the Raptors pick, plus a second-round pick from the Lakers. Um, and then some other uh, um, off-season dates to watch this off this off season. 
The Spurs have until June 24th, so a day after the draft, to determine if they're going to keep Zach Collins for next season because he has a $7.4 million uh, partially guaranteed contract. Uh, if they waive him, it's about $3.5 million, I believe. Uh, and then lastly, um, June 29th is the final day for the Spurs to send qualifying offers to Lonnie Walker IV, Devontae Kaycock, Joe Wieskamp, DJ Stewart Jr., and Robert Woodard II. And so, again, only the players that get that qualifying offer become restricted free agents. If the Spurs don't send uh, any of those players a qualifying offer, well, then they become unrestricted free agents when free agency begins, I believe, on July 1st. Uh, Joe, did you have any comments about um, some of these calendar dates coming up? No, I'm just looking forward to the NBA draft lottery on May 17th. Hopefully the lottery balls can fall in the Spurs' favor because God knows they could use a little bit of help. You know, and right now you put on here, they have the ninth best odds, 20.3% chance at a top four pick, 4.5% chance at a number one overall pick. So like they say, never tell me the odds. You know, the famous words of Han Solo from Star Wars, you know. I mean, it is what it is at this point. So hopefully the Spurs can get a little luck and maybe get a top five pick. But generally speaking, Paul, I think we're going to have mm-hmm. to settle probably for a nine or a ten. Yeah, no, and and you know the Spurs actually almost made their odds worse when they almost won that Dallas game. Remember they were oh, winning remember. for most of that game. Yeah, and then had like I kept saying it, had they won that game, they would have been tied with Washington, and then they would have um, had to go to a coin flip just for ninth or tenth. So yeah, they did a good job of losing that game in a way. All right, Joe, our final um, uh, topic here is just just look at the offseason roster and kind of what, what what's going to happen with a lot of the players, assuming that uh, any of these players don't get traded. So the players uh, expected to come back right now on guaranteed contracts are there's eleven players. Um, there's DeJounte Murray, Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson, Yaka Pertle, Devin Vassell, Josh Primo, Romeo Langford, Keldon Johnson, the Spurs' first-round pick, whoever they draft, the Raptors' first-round pick, whoever the, the Spurs take there, and then also the Boston Celtics' first-round pick. So, again, uh, you know, that's 11 players. And, again, you, once once um, training camp's over, you have to get your team down to 15 players uh, plus the two two-ways. So so that's, again, where we, we question, you know, are they going to keep all three picks? Again, because that's a very stacked roster already just with the players coming back. Then we look at the players on partially or non-guaranteed contracts, and there's four players here, and players who were part of the rotation. Um, Zach Collins, uh, uh, he, he's on a partially guaranteed deal. You got Kata Bates Jop, you got Trey Jones, and then you have Jock Landale. So again, if you bring back those four players, well, then now your team's already full. You know, just by adding those three picks, you already you already have your your team at, at max capacity. And then lastly, there's five free agent players um, uh, that are going into free agency. There was, of course, the, the the big name on this list, which is Lonnie Walker the fourth. The Spurs can make they, the Spurs can make all these players restricted free agents, like I mentioned earlier. There's Lonnie Walker the fourth. Then there's the um, the guys who are in the G League um, for most of the season: Devontae Kaycock, Joe Wieskamp, and then uh, DJ Stewart and and Rob uh, Woodard the second are are there as well uh, as the free agents. So the big one, of course, the player there is is Lonnie Walker the fourth. Um, what are your thoughts, Joe? Again, it's really early on on just how this roster looks going into the offseason. Man, it's going to be tough. <clears throat> you know, you're looking at partially non-guaranteed contracts in particular. You know, Zach Collins, Kata Bates-Diop, Trey Jones, Yak Landell. Yak Landell didn't see a lot of playing time, but he was effective in some of the games that he did play in. Uh, you look at mm-hmm. Kata Bates-Diop, came on strong in the second half of the season. You know, looked pretty good in the minutes, limited time that he did play when he was out there on the court. Trey Jones, for all intents and purposes, is your bona fide backup point guard. You found your guy. And you're, to me, that's going to be one of the, the guys that you're going to have to wind up keeping up, keeping on this roster. The other one, Zach Collins, he's going to be an, another big that you're going to want to have, you know, right there to back up one Yaka Portal, because Zach Collins was a better version uh, of a backup center than one Drew Eubanks. You know, and I got nothing mm-hmm. but love for Drew, but I'm just keeping it real and being honest. You know, at the end of the day, Zach Collins is a better, uh, better player, you know. 
Then you're looking at your free agents, Lonnie Walker, Devontae Kaycock, Joe Wieskamp, DJ Stewart, and Rob Robert Woodard II. And now, out of all these players here, the ones that I would say you're, the Spurs will more, more than likely wind up parting ways with if, if the other qualifying offers that come from other teams isn't going to be a bit high, would probably be Lonnie Walker the fourth. You know, while he did uh, come on strong in the second half of the season and showed that his role is being that sixth man off the bench, I just think it was kind of too little too late. And if he, you know, is going to get a lot of interest from other teams, you don't want to overpay for him. So you're mm-hmm. going to have to go ahead and put your stock in one Josh Primo or go ahead and re-sign or uh, not re-sign, but go ahead and move forward with Josh Richardson, which you have him under contract for another year because he's going to be coming into that fifth year of, of the contract, you know, which is fully guaranteed. Uh, Devontae Kaycock, I like the kid, you know, but again, I mean, how often are you going to really utilize him? And do you find yeah. uh, any other value in any other players in the offseason that could possibly make this roster better? Same thing with Wieskamp, DJ Stewart, and Rob Woodard II. You know, they're going to have a lot of um, decisions to make. And I know that some of these fans are going to be quite upset because they become enamored with some of these players, especially fans that were watching, you know, the Austin Spurs. I mean, they have a fascination with Joe's, Joe Wieskamp. They call him Threes Camp, you know, because he can shoot oh, the wow. three at a high level when he's over yeah. in the Austin Spurs, but it doesn't necessarily translate to him executing at that high level at the NBA level, because of course he's not going to get a lot of playing time on the court. So a lot of decisions that Spurs are going to have to make, but you know, for all intents and purposes, the guaranteed contracts with those 11 players that you just mentioned, plus the Spurs first round, the Raptors first and the Celtics first, that's partially almost all your, your roster right there, except with some of these other moving pieces. So I'm glad I don't work in the front office because I I mean, I'd I'd be getting an ulcer or something, man. Yeah, you know, if I had to say any kind of locks on the players that are in that that partially guaranteed or or the free agent area, I would say Zach Collins. I think it's for sure a lock to come back and trade Jones out of the out of the, all those yeah. players there. Again, I, I agree with you, Joe. I, I don't know what's going to happen with Bates' job. You know, you could give his roster spot to one of these one of these first to let them develop. Uh, you could give Jock Lando's spot as well. But even though Jock did play well toward the end of the season, like you said, especially. Uh, you know, I wonder if they're very interested in using him as a four because that's kind of what he mentioned as well that, that he got more minutes that way. And so I wonder if they like that and maybe they address that they keep him because I could see totally see Jock staying if that's the way they wanted uh, 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 use him next year. Lonnie, you know, I could see both camps of a yes, he started to, to come on um, after Derek White got traded, he really figured it out, started to become you know, started putting up some 20 point nights, or B. You know they have Josh Primo who can develop. They have Devin Vassell who can become now now when you're, you're when you're you want to get more possessions to more offense. They have Josh Richardson. Maybe they want to get more from, give Romeo Langford a shot next year as a as a scorer off the bench. So again, there's I can see both ways of, of whether they bring back Lonnie or they, or they don't. Again, I wouldn't say he's a lock just yet. And same thing for all these players. I just don't see any of the free agents as a, as a lock to come back. I don't think at all um, Stewart or Woodard will be back just because they didn't play in the Spurs. I don't think they ever played them any kind of minutes in the regular season. Kaycock only came if it was like an emergency, and then mm-hmm. Wieskamp. They might be interested in Wieskamp because they have helped him develop his three ball. And I believe, um, I don't know who it was. It was one of the players post game right before the playing game said, um, you know, Wieskamp's like one of the most dangerous shooters on this team, even though, even though we don't see it because he doesn't play much. But in the, in the, in the gym and stuff, uh, you know, when the players see that, they know that Joe's a very good shooter. So if they're really working on developing him as, as one of those shooters, especially considering this team, as we talked about, one of their weaknesses is the three ball. Maybe he has a, he has a, a decent chance of, of making a team. And, because, and then, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with those three first. Trump picks. So they're going to keep them all. They're going to trade two of them. They're going to, you know, keep all three. So again, we'll kind of figure out uh, what those questions are toward this toward the end of the season. So we're getting uh, close here to wrapping this episode up. Uh, Spurs cast listeners, don't forget to visit ProjectSpurs.com. Any kind of off-season news 
does come out, uh, we will make sure to, to write it up on Project Spurs and, and, and publish it there. So you can you can check that out as the offseason approaches or, or begins now. Uh, also, with the draft coming up now in, in the next two months, uh, we got Benjamin Bornstein continue to, to evaluate different prospects. So continue to check out Ben's Prospect Watch series. Thanks to Joe for joining me here on this Spurs cast episode. And also thanks to Joe for mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day.